please join me as we pray. Oh God, we just sang about the reality that one day when you come, Lord Jesus, and we fix our gaze upon the one who gave his life for us. Oh Lord, we'll fall on our faces. Because we are unworthy. So today, Lord, we give thanks. Oh, Jesus. For Jesus. Because, God, you are unwilling to let us continue in our sin and face the consequences of our own behavior. You sent your Son to take our sin upon Himself and pay the awful price that we deserve. That He might give us His righteousness. That we might stand before the living God, righteous and prepared for glory. God, we've come here today to honor you, to glorify your holy name, to open your word and understand the truth. God, today we ask that you would take and use this word to transform us as you renew our minds. Make us more into the likeness of Jesus the Christ the Son of the living God, our Savior, our Lord, and our Master, in whose name we pray. Amen. In his book, Start With Why, Simon Sinek discusses the importance of motivation. He writes, detergent advertisers once promoted their product with the statements like, it gets your whites whiter and your brights brighter. That's what the market research revealed customers wanted. But was it really? He goes on to explain, the data was true, but the truth of what people wanted was different. The makers of laundry detergents asked consumers, what they wanted from detergent, and the consumers said whiter whites and brighter brights. And so brands attempted to differentiate how they got your whites whiter and your brights brighter by trying to convince consumers that one additive was more important than another. No one asked customers why they wanted their clothes clean. Later, a group of anthropologists discovered that this approach wasn't really driving buying decisions. They observed that when people took their laundry out of the dryer, no one held it up to the light to see if it was whiter and brighter. The first thing people did was smell it. 
He concludes, this was an amazing discovery. Feeling clean was more important to people than being clean. The same attitude extends out of the laundry room and into the recesses of our hearts. Often we are more interested in appearing clean than in the reality of being clean. And when this happens, we place a high emphasis upon the external things that we can give appearance of rather than the internal reality of Christ in our hearts and lives. And so we spend our time working on behavior modification in our life rather than deepening an intimacy with Jesus Christ, which will affect our behavior on the outside. And it will be authentic. Well, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 is speaking about the difference between uh, the, the righteousness in the flesh, righteousness that is external behavior in our lives, or things that are according to the law, if you will, or righteousness that comes from God that's on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, basically, where is your confidence when it comes to commending yourself to God? <clears throat> Follow along with me as I read from Philippians chapter 3. Start with verse 1. We looked at verses 1 through 3 last time. <clears throat> but I'll read it again and read down through verse 9. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and, a, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, Paul says, might have confidence even in the flesh, and if anyone else has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. <clears throat> and as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But... Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We need to put our confidence in a righteousness that counts for eternity as opposed to a righteousness that might impress people in the here and now. And so as he contrasts these two, 
are two basic truths I want to point out. And the first is that we need to count our own righteousness as of no value. When it comes to commending ourselves to God, that's not to say there's no value in external uh, right behavior or in some of the things that are true of our lives that would be similar to what Paul talks about. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. But we're talking about what is it that commends us to God. What is it that causes God to look with favor upon us? It is not our righteousness. It's nothing we have in ourselves. It's nothing we can do in ourselves. And there's nothing we can do that will get us into heaven. And so our own righteousness is of no value in that regard. Paul gives a list of the things. He says, listen, I put no confidence in the flesh, but if anyone had reason to do so, I do. And here's my list of accomplishments, if you will, or righteousness in accord with the law. Circumcised on the eighth day. You see, that is referring to the fact that he was born a Jew, and he, was, he started out in this whole thing, the circumcised on the eighth day of his life. A person who is a proselyte Jew gets circumcised later in life. But Paul says, no, I, I was from the very beginning part of this, of the, of the, uh, of the nation of Israel. There were others who were children of Abraham. Remember, Ishmael was a child of Abraham, and all the descendants of Ishmael were, lit were uh, literally descendants of Abraham. And then even Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob, Esau's descendants were descendants of Abraham, but it was Jacob or Israel that was the true line. And Paul says, I'm of that line. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was a special tribe because, first of all, the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that stayed loyal to the line of David with the tribe of Judah. And all the others departed. Remember when the, the, the kingdom was divided? There were ten tribes that went and became Israel, and there were two tribes that stayed, that stayed loyal, and that was Judah and Benjamin. He says, I, I'm all that. When you, when, when you want to compare this, uh, and he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is, I, I had Hebrew parents who were dedicated to, to the, the, the Jewish faith and who, who raised me properly as a Jew and, and, and sent me to the right schools and, and, and I got the training. And, and in fact, as the law, I was a Pharisee, the strictest sect of religious uh, leaders in Israel. He was one of them. In fact, his zeal for the Jewish religion was so strong, he became a persecutor of the church. Something that as a believer now, he was not proud of. But he's looking and saying, I was so committed as a Pharisee to the things that Pharisees did that I was willing to persecute other people who were doing the wrong things in his mind at that time. And as to the righteousness in the law, found blameless. I did everything that was required of me. No one could point to anything in my life, Paul says, uh, that would indicate that I was not completely keeping the law. 
He says, I had it all, and there's no one out there that can outdo me when it comes to that. He says, but whatever things, all these accomplishments, all these things that I could, could brag about, whatever things were gained to me then, I have counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. That word loss means detrimental. Damaging. A liability. In fact, I love the way the Net Bible translates this. Verses 7 and 8 it says, But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying this, that confidence in the flesh is a liability in our relationship with Christ. Confidence in the flesh is a liability. See, sometimes we put confidence in things of the flesh, things like church attendance. How many years we've been a believer, whether we've been raised in the church, whether we were born in a Christian family. How we dress. The discipline of reading our Bible every day and time spent in, in, in prayer. Um, volunteering in ministry. We, all these things are wonderful things. But none of that commends us to God and says, well, I, I'm a better Christian. Uh, God, God likes me better. And, and I didn't need the, the gospel as much as someone who, who grew up in the world and on the streets and was doing drugs and, and doing all these things that, that we look and say, ah, that's not good. We can make the mistake of thinking that we have, can put some confidence in that stuff. In fact, one of the struggles that I have found with people who, who were raised in the church is that they can come to struggle with why they need the gospel as much as someone else does. I mean, my own testimony, I look and I say, man, I was raised by in, in, a, in a Christian home, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, attended Awana and youth group faithfully. I didn't go out drinking. I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't go uh, sleep around. I was an easy kid to raise. I could look and say, man, I don't need Jesus as much as someone else does. Because I didn't really do anything that bad on the outside. But I had a wicked heart. I could look at the things like, well, you know what? I went to church camp, and then I, I worked at church camp, and I got called into ministry at church camp, and I went to Bible college and got a Bachelor of Science in Bible and, and a Master's Degree of Divinity in, in seminary. Doesn't that count for something, God? No. Because, as Isaiah says, our righteousness is like filthy garments. This is what Paul was putting his confidence in before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. All of this stuff. <clears throat> and he was working really hard 
to be all that. Because he thought that's what God was looking for. He says, now that I've come to understand all these things that were gained to me, I count as a liability. More than that, verse 8, I count everything, all things to be a liability in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. What are the all things? Religious things can stand in the way of our relationship with Jesus. If we put our confidence in them. Now obviously, we, we want people to be in the Word of God every day and be in prayer. And, but why? So that we can check a box and say, I'm a good Christian? No. So that we can get to know God and have a deeper relationship with Jesus. He says, I, I count all that that I'm trusting in to be a liability. And then all things. What about worldly things? Dr. Uh, Weist says this about, about Paul. He says, <clears throat> he says, the expression for whom I have suffered the loss of all things speaks of what Paul in his unsaved state gave up when he received the Lord Jesus as his Savior on the road to Damascus. The words have suffered are in the Greek text a business term meaning to fine or to punish by exacting a forfeit. So you could translate his words, for whose sake I have caused, I've been caused to forfeit these things. See, Paul was a citizen of Tarsus. And at the time he lived there, only families of wealth and reputation were allowed to retain their Tarsian citizenship. This throws a flood of light upon Paul's early life. He may well have been born into a home of wealth and culture. His family may have been very wealthy Jews living in one of the most progressive of those cities at that time. All this left, uh, Paul left be to become a poor itinerant minister. But not only did he forfeit all this when he was saved, but his parents would probably have nothing to do with him because he was a son who had dishonored them by becoming one of those hated, despised Christians. They reared him in the lap of luxury and he had, had sent him to the Jewish school of theology in Jerusalem to sit at the feet of the great Gamaliel and had given him an excellent training in Greek culture at the great Greek schools of learning. They probably now cast him off. And so he was still forfeiting all that he held dear. For what? That he may win Christ. And he may have a relationship with Jesus. Confidence in the flesh is a liability to our relationship with Christ. And secondly, nothing has greater value than knowing Christ. Nothing. Nothing in this world has greater value <clears throat> than knowing Christ. And not just knowing about him, but that word knowing in verse 8 <clears throat> means to know experientially. He says that I may gain Christ. He's not talking about earning salvation, but having a relationship with Christ in which he can appropriate the character uh, of Jesus in his life. So that Christ is reflected through him. 
That word rubbish. He says, I count it but rubbish. Dr. Constable says the Greek word rubbish occurs only here in the New Testament. Its derivation is uncertain, but it appears to have referred to excrement or food gone bad or scraps left over at a meal and refuse. In extra-biblical Greek, it describes a half-eaten corpse and lumps of manure. Thus, Paul meant that his former advantages were not only worthless, but strongly offensive and potentially dangerous. He says, when you put your confidence in all this other stuff, it's a liability. Now, does that mean that being raised in a Christian home is a liability? No. Does that mean any of those things are? No, in and of themselves. Because we can learn, we can grow, and we have advantages that that, that that brings to our life. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home that I did, and that I was not exposed to so many of the things that that would would affect my life even today. But our confidence is not in those things. I may know Christ because there's no greater value of anything in this world than knowing Christ. You could be a multi-billionaire but not know Christ. What a value is that? Oh, you might, you might enjoy a few things here in these few moments in light of eternity. There is nothing, Paul says, of greater value than knowing Christ. So we need to count our own righteousness as of no value in regards to commending ourselves to God. Second main point is we need to count the righteousness from God as of surpassing value. The word surpassing means to hold above, to excel, superiority. Above anything else, this righteousness that is ours because of, that comes from God because of Christ is of ultimate value. You know that according to the Scripture, through Christ we have become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 states it very clearly. It says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. God the Father made Him Jesus the Son who was without sin, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. He took our sin off of us and put it on Himself. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's an incredible transaction that's taken place in glory. Our sin debt was removed Jesus took and paid it, and He took His account of righteousness, placed it on our account, so that when God the Father looks down at us, He sees not those despicable sinners. He sees people as righteous as Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us. 
Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For free. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what we're doing is we're accepting His sacrifice on our behalf as sufficient to save us, and we're receiving His righteousness. We believe that Christ did this for us because the Word of God tells us that. We trust in that transaction that God has made on our behalf in glory. And so now our position before God is fully righteous. And the Christian life is now about living in practice what we already are in position. And then we do that by yielding to the Spirit of Jesus Christ and then walking in obedience to what the Word of God says. Not because we're somehow proving to God we're worthy of His Son. No, we're doing it out of thanks and gratitude because of what He's done in saving us. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it with gratitude. Because through Christ, we have become the righteousness of God. He says that I may gain Christ. And then verse 9, he says, and may be found in Him. What does that mean? Well, again, I appeal to Dr. Ken Weiss. He says the words be found are probably used here in a semi-technical sense, found in post-classical Greek with the meaning of to turn out actually to be. Paul uses a similar expression in Galatians 2.17 when he says, we ourselves are found to be sinners. The idea involved is that of a revelation of character. And so Paul wants his life to demonstrate that he is in Christ. He wants to be found by observing men to be in Christ. He wanted men to see in his life the righteousness which the Holy Spirit would produce in answer to his faith in Christ. He says that I may gain Christ, right? Is that Christ might, that I might have this relationship with Christ and may be seen by others to have him. And so our point is this that our relationship with Christ should be evident to others. It's not just about behaving ourselves in public. It's about Christ being evident in our life. Through things like forgiveness. Forgiving those who have offended us. Forgiving those who have sinned against us, whether intentionally or unintentionally. hard for us because we think they're getting away with it 
No, they're not, because God knows. And God does not let people get away with sin. Now, if they come to Him, they're not getting away with it because guess what? Their sin is being punished, just as yours and mine is, by Jesus, through Jesus. And you say, well, but I want them to pay for what they've done. They've hurt me. Has God said that about you? I tell you, when I, when I have taught on this, um, not only from the pulpit, but in different places with different groups of people, this is always one of the hardest things for people. They, they come up and they're like, but you, but you don't know what, <laughs> but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. I know I don't. Jesus does. The problem for us is we don't know how bad our sin is. Therefore, we think other people's sin's worse than ours. What people have done to us is far worse than what I've done to God. That's how we think. Therefore, I deserve forgiveness, but they don't. Now, problem is that we may be putting too much confidence in ourselves and in our own righteousness. Or what we think is righteousness. So forgiveness is a big one that when people see it, they see there's something about this, this woman, this man, that's different from the people I encounter. They see the evidence of Christ in our life. Compassion. Truly caring and doing something about it. Many of us, you know, have, have maybe have tender hearts toward people who are suffering and hurting. And we might have a lot of empathy and feel for that. But compassion acts. Compassion does something about that. If we can. People see that. Generosity, genuine love, sacrifice, putting others' needs ahead of our own, the kinds of things we've already begun talking about that reflect Christ. See, it's not just, it's not just making sure that others don't see my flaws, and that's and then they'll, they'll, they'll know I'm like Jesus. No, it's about being like Jesus. loving people the way they need to be loved. Caring for them the way they need to be cared for. And if I could just put a plug in for the, for the next hour. What, what, what uh, Dr. Lehman and his wife Joyce are going to be talking to us about is how do we encourage people in the deserts of life? How do we genuinely and practically encourage people who are going through hard things? Many times we, we sit back and say, man, I wish I knew what to do. I wish I knew how to encourage them. I wish I knew how to say the right thing or do the right thing. Or what can I, how can I show up in a way that is helpful? We're getting equipped. Some practical things that will really encourage you to, to stay for that time, if at all possible. So we live out the character of Christ through the power of His Spirit as we yield to Him in 
responds to the work Christ has done and the righteousness that is ours on our account. Our actions do not earn the favor of God. They are simply the evidence of the favor of God upon our lives. And our relationship with Him should be evident to others. Bottom line is this. We must determine our value system with eternity in view. What is of utmost value? Paul says all this stuff, religious or otherwise, all this stuff is of no value. In fact, I, I consider it rubbish in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Our value system needs to be determined based upon eternity, not what this world says is of value. So what are you counting on for eternity? The work of Christ and not just for our salvation, but the work that Christ wants to continue to do in our life. Is that of more value than all this other stuff? Whatever it is. I, like you, can find myself getting these priorities mixed up. Thinking too much about and being concerned too much about things in this life. Whether it's, it's how people view me or, uh, you know, am I, am I going to have enough money in the future to, to take care of my wife and I? And, you know, I keep telling my kids they're going to have to support us one day. And we spend enough time supporting them, right? You know, but we all think about these things. We all, we all think about the stuff in this life. And then I'm reminded gently by the Holy Spirit and through His Word. Who are you trusting? Look back over your life. Have I ever let you down? My faithfulness, as the psalm says, to all generations. I have been faithful to you. I have been faithful to you when when you have been unfaithful to me. I've been faithful to you when you when you were too concerned about other things. I continue to be faithful. I've taken care of you my whole, your whole life and I will continue to take care of you in every possible way until the day you I call you home. You're mine. And so, knowing Christ the greatest value. Walking with Christ. Deepening our relationship with Christ. In a moment we're going to stand and sing this song, Rock of Ages. And oftentimes when we sing songs that we're somewhat familiar with, we don't think about the words. We just, it just comes because we're used to it. Let me read a couple of the verses of this song. Verse 2, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demand. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. 
Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look for thee for gra- to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, for I die. There's nothing we bring to the table. Jesus brings it all. He takes our junk, our sin, and He removes it and He pays for it. He brings to the table His perfect righteousness and says, here, this is mine. It is now yours as you receive it by faith. Now live in it in the power of my Spirit. God, would you help us? Would you help us to live out what you've already done for us? Not in our own effort, but by yielding to Jesus Christ. The yielding to your Spirit who is at work in us. For God, you are at work both to will and to work for your good pleasure. We want to participate with you in that by trusting you and by walking in obedience to your word out of a love for you, not out of obligation, not out of duty, because you are worthy. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of our worship. So, Lord, thank you for this reminder to us. Would you take your word and cause it to sink deep into our hearts? Lord, you know. You know where we are in the in the struggle. You know that, Lord, in in for many of us, we grew up in, in, in Christian circles where there was way too much emphasis put on the external. We've been conditioned to trust in those things. To put all of our weight on that, all of our confidence in that. And so we've neglected the weightier things, Jesus said is the depth of relationship with Christ. So God, would you help us to see the difference? To desire you more than anything else? And we would pursue depth of relationship. And God, I pray for a person that may be hearing me today who says, I don't even know what a relationship with Christ looks like. God, your word is very clear to us. As we've already said, Jesus took our sin, paid that price, placed his righteousness on us. He did that on the cross at Calvary. He rose again, which proved he gained the victory and accomplished what he said he would accomplish. And Lord, now it's up to us to believe it, to trust in that. And God, I pray for that person who may be maybe struggling in that moment. God, that in this moment, your spirit would say, this is the truth, walk in it. This is the truth, rest in it. Put your faith in this. And they would be convinced of that. If not, Lord, I pray that they would find somebody who can, who can show them in the Word, who can walk them in this journey, answer their questions and help them to see the truth. 
And God, would you help us all to trust you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.